High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome, welcome. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. So good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. My name is Nikki Zeberini and of course this is the show um, where we just bring you lots of, of information that you can use in your life and certainly be inspired uh, by. So we have a guest coming up in a moment, uh, well, a little bit later in the show, um, Ryan Stremrad. He, we've, we've actually had him on the show before, um, and he's incredibly inspiring, and he really looks at mindset. And just when you think that you've had enough or you can't go any further, Ryan says you absolutely can, and he's broken a record. And I'm not going to tell you more about that, but we are going to turn on during the show. And also, today we're going to be focused, we are going to be talking to Dr. Joss Stradham. He's a robotic surgeon um, and a urologist at the Urology Hospital in Pretoria. And we're going to be talking specifically. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Well, welcome back to the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. And I must apologize um, for the poor quality. You know, I suppose we are at the mercy of technology, um, and whether we get good connections and bad connections. And I'm sure you all appreciate what it's like um, being at home, working, having kids at home, having Wi-Fi up, then Wi-Fi down. So we're going to try our best. And just once again, thank you to Craig. Thank you to Flo for helping us put this together just in terms of the technology we really do appreciate it so um, we're now going to as I said we're going to be talking about prostate cancer and very specifically about um, robotic surgery I have Dr. Joss Stratum on the line he is a urologist and a robotic surgeon at the urology hospital of Pretoria Um, Dr. Stratum welcome and thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me pleasure So, Dr. Stranum, I, I, I believe it's one in four men, um, I beg your pardon, one in nine men um, who will be diagnosed with prostate cancer um, here in South Africa. Could you please tell us, um, you know, I mean, that's quite a high number. Could you tell us about a little bit more about prostate cancer and why the numbers are so high? Yeah, it, uh, the one in nine is not a South African figure, that's an international figure. So you have to, uh, worldwide is one in nine. Not a lot of those patients are going to have significant prostate cancer, so they might die of something else later in their life. But uh, prostate cancer has been increasing in the last, say, 10 to 20 years because of of the, um, of, the of, of people getting older. So the, the, the life expectancy in first world countries is, is, is uh, more or less 80 on average. And the older you get, the, better, the, better, the bigger the chances that you're going to get prostate cancer. Not all of those cancers are significant, um, but uh, the incidence, it has now become the most common cancer over men over the age of 50 and the second most common cause of death, of, of, of uh, uh, cancer-related death, uh, um, um, just after just low lung cancer. So, yeah, um, uh, there is some genetic influences and there's some environmental influences. Um, there's not one specific reason why you get prostate cancer. It's not related to smoking, for instance. Diet, dietary changes has, has, uh, has very little impact and there's no high-level evidence that any dietary change 
will uh, uh, stop you of having prostate cancer. Um, I don't know if you want me to elaborate about that, but uh, um, people, there's some some theories that uh, 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 legumes and zinc and tomato purees and red wine that might decrease the incidence of prostate cancer, but there's no real definitive proof of that. So, yes, uh, the prostate cancer is, uh, is, is in South Africa specifically. We don't really have statistics uh, as uh, what is the incidence. Um, there's many reasons for that. Um, a lot of people die in rural areas of prostate cancer, never been picked up or diagnosed, or for different reasons. Um, so, if you look internationally, um, African American people has got the highest incidence of prostate cancer. Um, followed by the guys in Jamaica and the West Indies. And uh, I must say the prevalence of South African black people seems to be higher than white, but we don't really have proper statistics about that. So that's just a perception. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Doctor. Now I hear you. I mean, you're talking about uh, um, not really knowing here in South Africa in terms of um, uh, those kind of statistics. Why? Why is that so? I mean, are you 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 mentioned a little bit earlier that there could be men dying in rural areas of prostate cancer, and we don't know. Is is that why we can't get proper figures um, here in South Africa? Well, not everybody has been written up um, uh, as they should be, um, and uh, and so I don't know if our stats are. Uh, it's difficult to to believe them. So. Um, Cancer-related deaths different. Just, just, you, must, you must remember that Africa, the average life expectancy is 29 years old. So um, there's a lot of those patients that, that never get to, maybe never get to the clinics or never get the proper diagnosis, or they might have prostate cancer, but they die of something else, like TB or AIDS or something like that. You understand? So it's not always easy to to keep those records. So yeah. Um, I think we can look at the rest of the world and probably say we are more or less the same figures like one in nine. I don't think it's going to be any different to uh, well, higher incidence in, in South Africa than to, say, for the USA, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the lowest incidence in the world is Japan. Um, but the fifth generation of Japanese that, that went to the Americas also has an increase of prostate cancer. So diet has some influence or environmental factors has some influence, but not, not to the same level as African-Americans, if you want to look at it that way. Wow. That's so interesting that the lowest uh, numbers are in Japan. Yeah. Um, to, look at uh, the U.S. it changes. Um, if you look at the, um, the high-risk people, um, and if you want to screen, start screening for prostate cancer, there's some, there's some debate about that. In the, in the States, for instance, they stop screening and that was now followed by a lot of lawsuits because of that, because people were missed. Because you have to do a lot of testing to pick up or to save one life of prostate cancer. But we believe in screening, uh, and I think most European countries do. So uh, the highest people should, should def- definitely be screened, for instance, African-Americans, and, uh, and for family history. So there are some genetic subtypes of families. Some families do have... Uh, uh, higher incidence of prostate cancer. They are different um, subtype. Normally they get the cancer when they're younger. It's also uh, quite often a very uh, more, more aggressive cancers than the, yeah. than the ones that you, that you speak up incidentally. You know. So yes, there is a genetic variation as well. Hmm. 
Um, Dr. Stratton, we, we're going to take a quick break, an ad break, and we'll be back after the break. And let's start talking about surgery um, and this robotic surgery that more and more men are opting for. So please stay for us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Thank you so much for staying with us. This is the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. I have on the line Dr. Joss Stradum. He is a robotic surgeon and a urologist at the Urology Hospital in Pretoria. Doctor, thank you so much for waiting for us. Um, we were just talking about prostate cancer, looking at the numbers, looking at environment and diet and genetics. Um, and obviously, um, we know just from shows in the past that um, early detection, and that's with all all cancer, early detection is very important. So we should be looking at um, going for screening. Men should be going for screening from what age, doctor? Generally, we, we look at, uh, um, if, especially if it's a positive family or African-American or supposedly maybe South African black people as well, if we put them in the same category, although they don't come from a, the same genetic pool as, as the guys from African-Americans, African we would say about 40, um, especially the high-risk people. Uh, we generally don't believe in screening the whole population. I think it's a, it's not a bad idea if, 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 if guys from the age of 40 maybe have a once, once a prostate check and a PSA, if that value is pretty low or very low, you, you can have it checked every third or fourth year. Uh, um, but if the value is, uh, is, is a little bit higher and it needs to be checked on a regular basis, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad idea or to get a baseline Evaluation of your prostate after the age of 40 or 45. Um, some, some, some people would recommend from 50 if you're low risk. Um, but uh, if a patient comes into your doors at the urology hospital from the age of 40, generally we would check their prostates nevertheless. So we, uh, uh, that's, that's a ballpark figure. Um, um, so high risk people definitely from 40 and maybe if you're low risk um, from 50 onwards is, is, is what internationally is accepted. Okay. Um, now let's talk to and thank you. Um, a prostatectomy, uh, I'm not going to say it properly and perhaps you can help me with it. That's the removal of, of a cancerous prostate. Um, up until the, the um, robotic surgery, what was the way, the, the normal way that a prostate was removed and what were the disadvantages of the normal surgery? The open surgery, there was different ways to, to, to remove the prostate. The first prostate operation was probably um, described more than 100 years ago. It didn't go so well with those patients, but in any case, the, uh, um, you can either do it perennially, so that's it's an incision through the perineum and, uh, um, and uh, just, just below the genitals, or you can do an abdominal incision. 99% of those kind of surgeries was done with an abdominal incision. Um, the uh, there was also a period that we did a lot, a lot of laparoscopic prostate operations as well. That is a sort of a, a what you would call a cheap robotic process, so a little bit more difficult to, 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 to learn. Um, the, the problem with that kind of surgery, with the open surgery, was not the incision as such, uh, although it takes you a longer time to recover from that particular um, type of operation, but there was, there, there was, the average blood loss was much higher than with robotic um, surgery. So uh, on average, um, blood loss was expected between 800 to 1.2 liters. And that is, a, that is, that is significant. So there was a lot of transfusions. Uh, people <coughs> stayed in hospital longer. And, 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 and the Achilles heel of, robot, of robotic or prostate surgery is, 
it's a long-term effect. It has on possible continents and and uh, and an erectile dysfunction. So the um, um, with the advent of robotic surgery, um, lat loss has gone out of the window. I, I don't think we we probably transfuse maybe less than 0.5 percent of patients, even less. Um, uh, nerve sparing um, for, for erectile function is much more accurate, um, and the, uh, the continence isn't really a big problem um, after three to six months. And then the return to con- continence is much quicker with robotic surgery than with any other type of approach. Okay, so I mean, uh, tick, tick, and tick for robotic surgery. So let's talk about what is robotic surgery. You spoke about l- laparoscopic, um, which is kind of like it, but you said like a, a, a different version of it. So let's talk to the robotic surgery, uh, how it's different to the open surgery, and why um, something like incontinence, why that would only be a, a short-term um, a side effect as opposed to the open surgery. With robotic surgery, you, you, you inflate the abdomen with, with carbon dioxide, which is a, um, it's a, a, to, to, to create a, a field of vision. So you work with a 3D camera. You're sitting next to the patient uh, on a console, uh, and the robotic the robot is attached to the patient via uh, ports that's been placed, similar to laparoscopic surgery and connected to the patient. The robot itself doesn't do any kind of a surgery. You, you just, we just call it a robotic um, surgery, but it's, you still do all the work. It's not just like flying a Boeing instead of flying a, a Cessna. It's just much more yeah. control. So, uh, the, um, so you inflate the gas and then you, um, you, you open the space in a, in, in, in a, uh, what, what we call um, uh, the retropubic space. So the prostate sits, actually sits quite deep into the pelvis. And if you get in there, it's much easier. You've got much better vision, 3D vision. Uh, your, your robotic arm or your instruments can rotate for 270 degrees. You can't do that with your hands. Well, laparoscopically, it's much more difficult to do that uh, laparoscopically than with a robotic. So it's easier to, to, to teach somebody uh, do robotic surgery than laparoscopic surgery. The learning curve is much shorter. There is a learning curve, like any kind of surgery. You don't have any tactile sen- uh, sensors, so you can't feel. It's all visual. Um, uh, but your brain sort of adapts to it, and then after a while you get a sense of feel. Funny enough, although you look into the screen, and you're not physically touching the patient yourself, the robot is. Wow. So, in here in South Africa, doctor, um, if if a patient who's listening now, if there's someone who has to go for uh, to have their prostate removed, um, how available is robotic surgery? In other words, if 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 the side effects are so much less from the robotic surgery, surely the open surgery will eventually be staged out and will be replaced by the robotic surgery. So, here in South Africa, what options do patients have? Look, you have to you have to define what options people have in state facilities have, and what options people have in in private practice. And unfortunately, there's no robots available in the state, as far as I know. I think they might have bought one at UCT. I'm not quite sure about that. Um, they might have acquired one recently, but uh, nowhere nowhere in the country else. So, if you're in the state facilities, you're either going to get open surgery or laparoscopic surgery. Um, I personally do laparoscopic surgery for people in the state hospitals. 
in the private practice setting, I, I believe there's, there are three, two, two robots in Cape Town. There's one in P, and we have, and there's one in Joburg and in Pretoria. It's five or six in the country. It's an expensive tool. It's about two million dollars for that for that machine. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, and and that doesn't stop there. There's a maintenance contract, and all the disposables all come into play. But uh, unfortunately, in the private practice, sometimes your medical aid or the plan, which plan of medical aid, are, is going to decide whether you're going to be able to have a robotic operation or not. Otherwise, it's going to be very expensive. You're going to have to pay that out of your pocket. So the uh, it is sometimes a financial decision, but um, more and more medical aids are coming coming on board and, and, and realizing the, the advantage of the surgery. And average hospital stay is one to two days. Um, um, we have, suppose it is possible to send the patient home on the same day, but I think that's, that's, that's a bit risky. And they probably would do that in the States where they have so, um, very good step-down facilities. Uh, but uh, we easily send patients home the next day. There's no complications. There can be complications, but they're much less. So people return to work and they return to normal activity much quicker. So yes, it is expensive, um, but um, it is the whole world is moving towards um, minimal invasive surgery. If you don't have a robot in the states, you do not do any more prostate surgery. That's just just gone out the window there. Wow. So, so, the, uh, so in our hospital, where we are 16 urologists here, open surgery is probably one and one to two percent of cases. Um, sometimes decided by different factors. Um, uh, finance is one, and sometimes you cannot use it over on a patient because of previous surgery or adhesions or some other technical issues. But the, uh, uh, most of the surgeries in this in this hospital, if you need to remove a prostate, I would probably say 90% robotically, 10% uh, laparoscopically, and maybe 1% open. Open surgery in a good hand or a good surgeon who's done a lot of cases can yield good results, but you need to build large resume of cases before you get, become actually good with it. And, and and people don't go through that learning curve anymore. They go, people don't want to have the surgery if they can avoid it, so they, they prefer to have the lab of the robotic surgery. Very interesting, Doctor. Thank you so much. Thanks for explaining it so clearly for our listeners and um, for those who are in a position where they are um, going to be having a prostate removed and, you know, looking at those different options. So we really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your time on this Thursday afternoon. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you and do take care. Bye-bye. Dr. Joss Stratum, um, a robotic surgeon and a urologist at the Urology Hospital in Pretoria. And we always hear, um, you know, always when we look, look at treatments and new treatments that are coming out, um, how expensive it is in the beginning, these state-of-the-art um, treatments, um, kinds of surgery. And we can only hope, you know, in South Africa that um, we get that kind of treatment out to more and more people. That's that's what we.
we all hope for um, because obviously the robotic surgery is is the way to go. Um, I hope that you found that interesting. I really, really did. We're going to take a break. After the break, a little bit of inspiration. As I said, it's all about your mindset. So what is your mindset like? You know, when you get tired, if you're running, do you stop? If you don't feel like doing something but you know you should, do you talk yourself out of it or does your mindset say, come on, get up and do it? So in a moment, Ryan Stramrud will be joining us and he'll be letting us into his mind so that we can get an idea of how he does the things that he does and hopefully be inspired. So let's take a break and we'll be back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, if you've just tuned in, welcome, welcome. This is the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. I'm Nikki Seberini, and I apologize because unfortunately we can't get hold of our next guest. That's Ryan Stramroot, an inspirational speaker and extreme swimmer. We have had Ryan on the show before. He was absolutely fascinating. He shared his story of how he will, and these are his words, not mine, how he saw himself as a couch potato really and uh, one day he just thought you know what he something has to shift and something has to change and he started to train and train and train and he started to swim um, towards Robben Island and he did the great crossing um, from Bloberg Strand to Robben Island and so he started to increase this kind of swimming and what he found um, and he says that this is true for all human beings is that we have a limit when our brain which is really trying to keep us safe um, and to protect us tells us to stop now I don't know if you ever feel that way and I certainly do when I'm running um, my brain just says stop it's like I've had enough and he says that we've got a lot more in the tank so the brain's doing it with and he talks about it when immersing um, himself in cold water he says the brain's going to tell you to get out because the brain wants to keep you safe but you actually have a lot more time that you can spend in the cold water and so he's accessed, accessed this idea of mindset of controlling the mind of power over the mind and that's what he does as a speaker um, and with his mindset workshop so I was really excited to speak to Ryan Stramrud because I think we're all in need of a bit of a mindset reset, if you know what I mean. I mean, we've been locked down for months now. There is, I, I, I use this term because it is a new normal. Um, it is amazing how we've been able to adapt, um, how we've tapped into an inner resilience. Um, and at the same time, you know, we, we, we've got to find ways of being innovative, of waking up and getting excited. It's one thing when you get in your car and you're going somewhere and it's a very different thing when you're not. And how do you stay motivated? So I was definitely looking forward to discussing the mindset. He did break a record um, on the 19th of June um, and that is, um, wow, crossings between Robben Island and the mainland. Um, he completed his 109th swim in, in two hours and 34 minutes um, and that surpassed the record of 108 swims achieved by the late Theodore Yach in 2016 and Theodore Yach is no longer with us. Um, and Ryan was just saying that because of lockdown, he hadn't been in training. Um, and for this kind of swim, you need to be in training. And yet he was able to get in the water. He, he talks about muscle memory and he was able to do it and break the record. He's also done incredible things like swim the English Channel and um, 
Um, also, uh, Antarctica, he was attempting to swim between Russia and the USA. But as I said, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to talk to him, and I'm hoping that we will have him on the show again in the future. So the question that I'm going to be asking you is, what is your state of mind like? And are you finding it more and more difficult to be motivated, to find ways of being innovative when you're working at home? Or are you finding that you're more creative because all of a sudden you have more time? So is this time giving you space to think to um, strategize, um, to really be productive? Or are you just filling this time with a lot more doing, doing, and doing? And I suppose the balance is the doing and the being. So being in the moment, being able to be creative and think, and as well as implemented in the doing. So where am I heading with this? Well, um, someone actually asked me to contribute to a podcast and said, well, what have you found? What have you learned from COVID-19? And I wish that this was more interactive and and I was able to read your SMSs and to hear from you. But, you know, with the technology the way it is at the moment, I'm, I'm not able to. So I'll just tell you from my point of view. And quite interesting um, uh, and, and feedback from other people. So I sat with a group of people, not with them face to face, but on a Zoom session. And I said, like, what have you learned from COVID-19? And some of the things that people spoke about was adaptability and um, and patience. Patience, that's so interesting. Empathy, um, compassion, and resilience. And I was talking the other night about how very often when times are really tough, that's when we are called on to push ourselves and to pull ourselves. And when we come out the other side, we are more enlightened or we certainly have more epiphanies or we certainly know what we are capable of doing. So I'd love you to, while we break for the ads, I'd love you to think about that. You know, what have you gained? Have you got a different perspective on life? Have you um, dug deep and realized that there's so much more in you than you realized. Let's take a break and we'll be back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So welcome back. Um, I did apologize, unfortunately, Ryan Stramrud, um, who was supposed to be on the show and inspire us with mindset, couldn't make it. We couldn't get hold of him. Um, and we have to be patient. So that was one of the things I said. What have you learned from COVID-19? And patience is one of them. You know, we are at the mercy of this technology. Um, we're so grateful for this technology that we can continue to bring you these shows. And, you know, there are days when it just doesn't work. And so I think that maybe in the past when we were more frustrated and we expected more and maybe um, we, we, we wouldn't um, just sit back and accept that, that there is a patience and that there is an idea that sometimes things don't work out the way we want them to. I mean, haven't we learned that in 2020 when we had all these plans and ideas of what our 2020 would look like? And now the year looks nothing like that. It doesn't resemble what we had planned or projected or thought about. So this idea that we can adapt, and you know, when we were first told that we were going to be in lockdown, um, that we would have, there would be some people who would be losing an income, changing jobs, closing down businesses, um, schooling from home. Um, I could go on and on and on. And of course, the, the real threat of this virus, that there was a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance, heels down resisting. And then there was an acceptance, and not just an acceptance, 
acceptance, finding a way of thriving in this new way of being. And I'm just wondering if we're suffering from a fatigue or if we're still going full steam ahead. Um, so a friend of mine called it Corona Coaster, which I absolutely love. She says she's on a Corona Coaster. So it's the ups and it's the downs, right? Um, there are times when we feel that this is fantastic. We have quality time with our family. We find we have more time and then we feel down and we realize that life, you know, may not go back to what it was or there are huge financial strains and more and more people are getting ill, people very close to us. And it's very, very scary. So it's this Corona coaster that we are on. Um, yet we are in it together. And so another person says, you know, this idea of not being so judgmental um, and that it's not all about me. Someone said, you know, with more and more people getting sick, are you taking care? Are you letting people know? You know, you don't want to keep quiet um, because you think, oh, well, people will be upset if I get corona because I saw I was in contact with one person. You know, it's realizing that it's not just about you, that you have to think about the other. And the empathy and the understanding, all of these things that we're having to find within us, which is really incredible. It's kind of like the school of life on steroids, which is what we're all going through right now. So the DL link continues to give you opportunities to be in touch with experts um, on a physical level, on an emotional level. Um, and just to give you an example, even though these events are over, I really, really encourage you to go to the DL link page, the Facebook page, because they will post all the events that are coming up. These are, these are free events. They are for you. And yesterday from four until quarter to five, she had a session. Now, isn't that amazing? All you need is Zoom and you just download Zoom on your laptop or your PC or your phone and you have access to it. Um, then also on Tuesday the 23rd, Linda Fleischman um, had a discussion on how to equip oneself with tools of transformation. Um, and then of course we had the wonderful comedy evening just a week ago. So the DL link are continually bringing you all this uplifting information and it's there for you. So please do go to the Facebook page, have access to it, have access to these incredible experts who are just so openly and generously and willingly um, connecting with all of us who are at home. And of course, we are trying our very, very best. So I just wanted to end that there, really. I wanted to just make a point of saying, you know, just stop and pause for a moment. Look back. See how far you've come. See how maybe what seemed impossible a few months ago, you've realized is possible. That you you have so much more, as Ryan Stramrod would say, in your tank. There's so much more there. Keep digging deep. Keep believing that everything will be okay. Keep moving forward. I hope that you have enjoyed the show. I look so forward to being with you same time next week. Do take care, stay warm, and please stay in your homes. Don't go out socializing. If you go out, wear your mask, put your sanitizer on, and think of others as well as thinking of yourself. For me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, do take care. Bye-bye.